No my Heidi Mikey, Dan Hordrucker, welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapin with you. State Highway 1 in Otago, a serious crash between Waihola and Titiri. Road is closed and a serious crash unit is on the scene. There's a light vehicle detour there, so we'll keep you up to date with the traffic there and anywhere else. Today, rolling in or rolling out as a voter, should I have the right to know or leave it to democracy? Meanwhile, heightened tensions as a man behind the fence hijacks with Chris Luxon stand-up. That just after four. Also, light rail for New Zealand's three major cities. Grand designs or an exercise in futility. Hopping on and hopping on, hopping off rather, as you do in Melbourne. What do you think of that? Also, Mount Taranaki could erupt with little warning. That's what our guest says today. It's been very active in the past. And I saw a piece on spin-off about a woman who bought a dinosaur egg. And I thought, ooh, let's have a panel show and tell. Recall those at school? I love them, still love them. What do you have laying around at home that is pretty special? Tell me. A Darth Vader helmet signed by Darth Vader? A cookbook used by Hudson and Halls? What about an album signed by Benny Hill? Or a mat or a cloak? of special meaning. I'd love to hear you from your panel show and tell today. Text me, 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. With me, Sarah Sparks, founder of Sparks Consulting, serving Kaupa Māori equity and justice issues. Sarah, kia ora. Kia ora. And Ian Powell, health commentator, including as a columnist for Business Desk, publishes two blogs, including Otaihanga Second Opinion, Eel. Ian, kia ora. good to have you here. Kia ora, Wallace, good to be here. Lovely, good panel today with Sarah and Ian, but first to this. Now, Whanganui has a beautiful large river, delicious rewena bread, and an unusually high number of bells. That's right, it turns out Whanganui has a unique association with bells. There have been many requests to bring back a popular talk about the bells of Whanganui. With me is Whanganui historian and campanologist, that's what they call them, Scott Flutie. Kia ora, Scott. Kia ora, Wallace. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, those weren't your, your bells, were they? No, I'm not sure what those would have been. <laughs> I'm not sure either. We'll get to the bottom. interesting, though. Yeah, we'll get to the bottom of it, Scott. So are there more bells than usual in this great city? Yeah, there are. We've got quite a few in the civic realm. So we have um, a Karelian up on Queen's Park, Pukinamu. Uh, we've got the Fire Watchtower, which held, houses a set of Westminster chimes from about 1902. We've got lots of church bells, um, of course. So, but that aspect of civic bells is really unusual in this country, and we've got about three that I can think of off the top of my head. Isn't it, isn't it interesting, Sarah? You've got this uh, regional city here, which uh, really goes above and beyond with regard to its civic bells. I because I love <laughs> bells. I love the sound of them. I love bells mm. too. It's funny because in the weekend I went to an AGM meeting and one of the discussion points uh, on the agenda was actually fixing the local bell. 
So because oh, brilliant. Yeah, because bells, you know, they signify mm-hmm. births, deaths, marriages. They're a, they're a signifier in our community, yeah. and we need this now more than anything, the collective mm. community vibe. So Scott, I love yeah. bells. Is this what we need, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. And they're quite vulnerable things. A lot of them are really historic. They were installed, you know, a hundred years ago or more, and they do need constant maintenance. Um, The buildings that they're housed in often need strengthening. So I'm trying to foster, I guess, a sense of community interest and involvement in all of those different bells so the public can help advocate for them to be properly cared for. Would it be Ministry of Culture and Heritage, perhaps, at central Uh, government level to to help, especially with the older ones? Yeah, it depends totally case by case. I mean, Mm. some of these bells are in civic ownership, like in Whanganui. I I mentioned those civic bells. So the council has an obligation to manage those themselves. There are others that are in private ownership. Some, are, at least in Whanganui, are held in the museum. So it falls on them. So it really depends on the circumstances around ownership of who should maintain bells specifically. Right, Ian Powell. Well, I was quite struck by it, actually. I, In fact, by, by coincidence, I drove uh, through Whanganui twice in the last two or three days going from different places. Mm. And I visited mm. uh, Whanganui over, uh, Whanganui over uh, a number of, about three or four times a year in previous employment. And I'm, a, mm. I'm aware of its strong cultural tradition generally as a provincial city that stands out relative to other parts of the country. I was struck Mm. by the history, the American connection, because from that community or that township that's referred to in the article uh, was also at that time um, where um, the uh, Robert Owen, the British or English utopian socialist, had a community or there was supporters of him actively and I wondered whether there was some connection there. The other thing oh, was yes. um, Whanganui was the one of the earliest colonial settlements <coughs> in New Zealand uh, because it has a port, well, it had a port and a river, mm. and they were the means of transport. Mm. So you had uh, English migrants coming, and like other parts of the country, uh, but perhaps Whanganui a lot earlier than many others, they tended to emulate yeah. the country where they came from. Uh, mm, and mm. so I wondered whether, the, uh, fortunately, the dirty, grubby hands of the Wakefield Company and the New Zealand Company, <coughs> the Wakefield family and the New Zealand Company didn't get their hands of Whanganui, despite best endeavours. Uh, but the fact that migrants, migrants from England um, replicated much of what they, where they left uh, may have encouraged those chimes as well. Yeah, possibly. I mean, they they did their best, but it didn't always work. Um, And just in response to your first question, we did have quite a few different utopian communities trying to do their thing in in Wanganui and in the wider district, which which is a fascinating topic in its own right, actually. But, um, I mean, even in in Wanganui in in the 1830s, you've got whaler communities and and different kinds of interactions happening, which are, are fascinating. So we know there were also missionaries from the 1830s, and that's likely uh, where some of the earliest bells were in use in Whanganui. Just amazing. And I'm seeing one particular bell. Uh, For example, there's one... the Burnett family, the Oneida yeah. Bell, uh, which you're going to be yep. talking about in your talk. Can you give me a, a, a brief a synopsis of this particular bell? 
Well, it's as much about the people who commissioned it. The Burnetts were an English family who had spent time in the States, and they were strong abolitionists, and they were involved with the Underground Railroad. About the time of the American Civil War, they came to Whanganui, and they named their homestead Oneida after Oneida County in New York, where they'd spent some time. And they, decades down the track, um, they'd kind of made a name for themselves as like aesthetes, abolitionists, antiquarians, and they had a strong civic interest. So there was a Miss Burnett. She wanted to gift a set of civic bells to Whanganui in 1900. Um, she was in ill health. And the mayor at that time, Alexander Hattrick of you know Riverboat fame, wanted her to put these bells in a certain place and she reserved the right to choose where the civic bells went. And there was such a furore in town in, throughout 1900. In the end, she actually withdrew the offer because of Hattrick trying to control the ultimate placement of this set of bells. And she, she passed away later that year, but the story didn't end there because her brother Cornelius actually commissioned a set of bells anyway and put them in the backyard of their homestead. <laughs> um, and we've I, still got them. Well, Scott, I can't wait to hear more. I wish I had more time, but for those who are <laughs> interested, there is a lecture series this Friday that you can turn up and hear more. But for now, though, Scott Flutie, campanologist, great to have you here. Cheers. Very good. So that is the Spring Lecture Series this Friday. If people want to know more about Whanganui's bells, they can turn up there. That's 5.30pm on Friday. And you won't believe the text and response I'm getting about your show and tell. The panel show and tell. It's going to be so exciting, 10 to 5. What about this one? I have a cannonball from the Siege of Sandal Castle, Wakefield, around 1475. A cannonball over 500 years old. Oh, my goodness me, that's just one. All right, it is time for I've Been Thinking. Sarah Sparks, take it away. I've been thinking about energy hardship. You know, isn't it a a bread and butter issue? In fact, Wallace, you and I were talking about um, how cold it's been this year. And uh, I was looking online and and saw a recent report. And did you know that there were 8,000 homes that have been disconnected from electricity in the last few years? And I know that there's a lot of work being done uh, in government, particularly by a... uh, an advisory panel in this area, but I I believe that um, given the quantum and also more than 110,000 households couldn't afford to keep their home adequately heated this winter, that it should be a human right to ensure that everyone has access to power regardless of their income or their location in in Aotearoa. And I'd be particularly interested in the data and the insights as to where are the hotspots in our country where this energy hardship is happening and how best as a community collective can we resolve it. Uh, Imagine spending a winter like this uh, without power. We're talking off air, eh? I mean, for for whatever reason, I feel very cold this winter. It's Mm. in your bones, isn't it? Very, (laughs) very good. Yeah, maybe that. Uh, 8,000 people disconnected. Kia ora, Sarah. All right, Ian Powell, I've been thinking. Well, I've been thinking uh, about how impressed I am with the quality of outdoor uh, multi-sports and recreational facilities in rural New Zealand. And the context is that uh, whereas I accumulate books and old clothes, my wife accumulates border collies. Uh, 
to clarify, I should say that I regard one border collie as an overaccumulation uh, because they're so intelligent, so fast, and so energetic, and so lovely, of course, too. Uh, but uh, she's been taking them too, and I've been the unpaid hired help, um, huh. uh, to various competitions for obedience and agility around uh, rural central North Island. And uh, places like Fielding, Ashurst, uh, Waipukarau. Uh, the one I want to focus on, though, is uh, all have been impressive in terms of their facilities, but the one that struck me was on Saturday at o- Otako. Uh, just south of New Plymouth, about 20 minutes south. It's got a population of about 650 people. The facility there, big fields, uh, caters for a horse club, uh, pony club, uh, dog club. Uh, Also got uh, rugby fields, squash facilities, bowls for uh, cricket, a number of other sporting and recreational activities as well. It's incredibly impressive for such a full, full, small population. And what has struck me there but also in the other places I've mentioned as well, is how well nature is being used to provide you know, richest, richest, richness to the quality of people's lives in those communities right. and the people who come to them. And they actually, um, they, they're kind of like um, hubs, uh, not the hub of a rural community, but, but one of the hubs within royal communi- rural communities, um, which need to really be embraced by protecting them, by maintaining them and by enhancing them. Um, and seeing you're going to ask the question, uh, Wallace, I know you are. Uh, We've got I, five seconds, Ian. My dogs, um, our dogs came second and third in their obedience competition. Oh, Just saying. Well done. Well done. <laughs> right. Well done. Ian Powell, Sarah Sparks on Monday's panel. A panel show and tell what something special hidden in your wardrobe. Text me 2101 the panel. <clears throat>